Well, today's a special Sunday here at the end of summer when we worship together as a whole church family. So our modern worshipers and our classic worshipers are gathered together today in this room. Uh, we also have uh, uh, elementary school kids, middle school kids whose program is taking a break today, and they're with us today. They may not, we, we've got kids who may not always be here. This could be an unfamiliar room. And so can, can we just welcome the kids and teens of our church again to worship this morning. So glad you're here. So in just a little while, uh, toward the end of our service, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, and I want to anticipate a couple questions. Uh, should my child participate? Because traditions vary from church to church, and our church teaches that children may participate in communion, provided that three criteria are met. The child should have their own faith in Jesus Christ. That, that varies from church to church. We think they should have their own faith. Uh, number two, that they've got some understanding of the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And number three, they have parental permission. And if those three are met, children are welcome to participate. And uh, kids and moms and dads, if you're looking at each other because you, you haven't, this is the first time you thought about that, then kids, just wait, uh, wait this time, and maybe this will spark a conversation for your family about the meaning and the importance of the Lord's Supper. Do I have to be a member to participate in the Lord's Supper? No, you do not. The only requirement is faith in Jesus, and that faith need not be a perfect faith. In fact, when we come to communion, we are admitting that we are imperfect. We are owning that and saying we need God's grace. We need God's power. So if you're an imperfect follower of Jesus and you'd like to participate today, I invite you to do so when we get to that part later in the service. Uh, but right now, we're in a series called Money Lessons for the Whole Family. I want to remind you of a couple uh, sermon-related resources that are on the card here today. That class I told you about last week, Thrivent, the organization Thrivent, will be here this Wednesday, that's this Wednesday, to do a class for children, kindergarten through age, uh, grade five, and their moms and dads, and maybe their grandparents. It's a class for kids, and everyone that goes will get a free piggy bank. It doesn't quite look like this one. It's a different one, but you can get that. That's this Wednesday night. And then Financial Peace University, the premier class on money from Dave Ramsey is going to be offered here again in October. And a lot of you wrote in and said how valuable that class was. Super, super practical and biblical, and I commend that to you as well. Well, last week we talked about three money lessons for the whole family, and today is three more money lessons for the whole family. And I want to begin with the more lesson number one, which is God wants your heart, your heart and your treasure are linked. We heard, read today, part of the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus famously said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I need a couple kids to help me teach this lesson to the room today. I'm looking for some kid volunteers. I need, I need at least two. I could use more than two, but two. And uh, daily age nine or up would be helpful. And uh, if, you, if you can help me, uh, come on up here because I need a couple helpers. Great. All right. You, you are... Uh, all right, so I need, uh, let's see, I'm going to break you into two groups. So you stand on this side, um, and I need someone to be, uh, will you be the helper so you can stay out here? Uh, I'll give you a roll in just a minute. So, so Jesus said, your, 
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you guys hold that sign. And he said you're linked together, so what we're going to do, your job is to tie up these two groups of kids, all right? So here's how we're going to do this. You can kind of, well, you, if you hold on to this cord, just hold on to that. And I want you to wrap a couple wraps around them. Just kind of wrap them. Yep, go ahead. Oh, here. Okay, nice and gentle. Good, good, good. Wrap them up, wrap them up. Face that way. Good. Have a, have a little more loop. Good. Is that comfortable? All right. And then we're going to wrap up these, these guys. So someone needs to hold this part. Okay, just go wrap them. You guys okay? Stand a little closer. You okay? Is that good? Okay, so you have to hold that. Okay, now you're going to help me move them. Okay, so we are set up and ready to teach this lesson. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The treasure and the heart are connected, and so we're going to move them. So my son uh, has a girlfriend that he really likes. He has given his heart to this young woman. And so let's say she's over there, and I want you to pull, pull them. Ready? Here you go. You're the, you're the puller. So grab that rope. Okay, he's going to give his heart, and we're going to say that the, the, the girl he likes is over here. And so pull the heart over toward the girl. Ready? We're going. This way. Come on. <laughs> the heart goes, and what happened? The money followed. We see this principle all like, you guys okay? I kind of have to You have to follow. They are connected, Jesus said. Now, we see this all the time when your heart goes somewhere. Uh, let's say we give our heart to the game of golf. Some of you know this. Golf's over here, and the heart's going to move toward the golf. Pull them toward the golf. What happens? The money follows. The money follows your heart. Okay, stop. Don't go off the edge there, right? Now, we see this supremely. Here, you guys come in just a little bit for illustration purposes. No, no, okay, good, good. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. Now, we're See, you're all tied up. That's the point. You guys are great. Now, some of you are, are grandparents, and you found this too. When you give your heart to your grandchild, what happens? The treasure goes with it, uh, right? Because grandparents, you give to your, your grandkids gifts you would never would have given to your own children. And how many of you grandchildren have experienced the benefit of the linkage between the heart and treasure, right? Grand, grandkids, you have benefited from that. They are linked together. Now, treasure doesn't always mean money. It's anything you hold dear. But when your heart goes to something, those things you hold most dear, you gladly let it follow your heart. You give it to the people and the causes that you love. But Jesus did not say where your heart is, your treasure is. He said where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so it works the other way. So come lead the train this way. Let's say, how, how many of you um, uh, are watching what's going on in the stock market? My guess is, those of you that are, it's because you're in the stock market. If you're in the stock market, you're interested in the stock market. If you're not in the stock market, you might not be as interested. But let's say you want to get out of the stock market and you want to invest all of your resources in aluminum foil. That's not a tip, it's just an illustration. And we're going to take all of our money, here we go, we're going to take all of our money, and we're going to bring it over here, and we're going to put it all in aluminum foil. So come over here and pull her with me. Here we go, take all the treasure, and the treasure's going. Oh, good job. Ready? Here we go, aluminum foil, here we go. 
Oh, don't resist me, you're messing up my point. There's always one. Okay, so if you put your money in aluminum foil, you will find you suddenly are interested in aluminum foil. You are a student of aluminum foil. You know how it's made. You know the science. You know the technology. You know the finances behind it. You finally know which end is supposed to go up, the shiny side or the dull side. You know everything about aluminum foil because your heart will follow your treasure. We also see this with other things. Like we saw people in our church that, that gave uh, a bunch of money. Don't mess up my illustration, guys. We saw this when, when someone gave a bunch of their money to a school in India. Let's do it one more time. This is the last time I'll pull you out. So we take all that money and we put it over there in India. You ready? Okay. We're going to India. Bye. Shh, put the money in Bye. India. Bye. You put your resources in India, you find suddenly you have a heart for India. Because you didn't really care about India before, not to be callous, but it wasn't on your radar. You didn't know about the plight of the delete. But suddenly, when your resources are there, you can find India on a map. Suddenly, you find your mind and your thoughts and your prayers drifting toward India. The great thing about this, hold on, the great thing about this is you can steer your heart. You can steer your heart because Jesus says they're linked together. Can we, uh, can we thank our volunteers? You guys, great, thank you. Leave the rope. <laughs> That went, uh, that went about as well as I was expecting. So uh, God wants your heart. God does not need your treasure. God does not need your resources. But Jesus says the heart and the treasure are linked together. We don't want to admit they are. We don't want to believe that about ourselves. But the truth is they are connected for all that's good and all that's bad. And we need to be aware of that. Why does the Bible talk about this? Because God wants your heart, and they are connected. I told you the story one time before about when my boys were little, and uh, they shared a bedroom. Uh, they invited me one time to come in and see their treasure. And that's the word they use, treasure. We're going to play treasure. And I said, arr, matey, and I jumped right in, hoping it was a pirate theme. And uh, I, went, I went into the room, and we, they closed the door. I knew it was real serious. Under the bed, they pulled out a cardboard box that they kept their treasure in. And again, I, I was like, oh, ahoy, because I'm very good at imaginative play. And the box opened, and I looked in. In the box were these broken plastic straps and rubber bands. And I said, oh, that's, that's just trash. As soon as I said it, I knew it was the wrong thing to say. And their faces went downcast, and the box got closed and pushed back under the bed, and the game was over. I, you, you know those moments where you want to take back what you just said? Uh, parents, have you had those moments where you... You thought your parenting license was about to be revoked. This is one of those, I knew it was wrong, and I, I went out and I said to Angie, what's, what's up with the, the treasure? She said, well, I don't know what's what they're into now. When we shop, we go through the, the stores, and they push their way through the clothing racks, and all these broken hangers and rubber bands, and forever, it's, it's important to them right now. It, it's, I don't, it's just important to them. And I said, you should have told me that before <laughs> I went in there. I, this is really your fault. I think it. 
and they would play treasure. This was, this was the phase they were in. They were in a treasure, and they would play that game, and I didn't get invited back until two months later. They invited me to come play a treasure, and I did not miss this opportunity. I went in, and uh, we closed the door. We sat in a circle with flashlights, and the, the, the box came out, and I went over the top over everything in there. What, this is fantastic. Arr, this is amazing. And I probably overdid it because then they did something that I was not prepared for. They gave it to me. They just knew that I, based on my reaction, I would want some of this at my office. And it wasn't lost on me. This, this is not about little boys giving sticks and bands. It's not about boys giving just their treasure. Right? These boys were giving me their, their heart. Because your treasure goes with your heart. Right? These, this was not lost on me, the, the magnitude of what just happened. They were giving me their heart. Your heart and your treasure are connected. Now, I've learned as my boys got older, the treasure just changes, right? It's sticks and bands and then it's cars and money and something else, but everybody has a treasure and your heart and your treasure are linked and God wants your heart. That's money lesson number one. Money lesson number two. Money lesson two is beware of the monster of more. Anybody know where this is going? The monster of more is this little fuzzy, invisible monster that's super persistent and with your whole life long, and you've got something. The monster of more comes and whispers in your ear, you need a little bit more. And then you get a little more, and the monster comes back. You need a little bit more, and you get more, and the monster comes back and back and back, and there is no limit to the monster of more. The monster of more is never satisfied. It's, he's insatiable, and he comes to us all time, all the time, all our life. A lot of surveys have asked people, well, how much do you think you would need more to be comfortable? And they do the math on this, and people at all income levels tend to give a number that's about 10% of what they have or make right now. Everybody wants a little bit more. You and I must ignore the monster of more. You and I must do what? Ignore the monster of more. Paul says in Philippians, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul learned what it was to be content in every situation because it is possible to be discontent in every situation some of you know people like that some of you are people like that if you listen to the monster of more you will be a discontent person now i'm not talking about healthy ambition and drive there are situations in which we ought to be discontented I'm talking about an attitude of ungratefulness that robs you of your joy, that involves unhealthy comparisons, and often leads to debt and bondage. The monster of more is so subtle, so sneaky, we don't even see what's going on. We must ignore the monster of more. And we fight this monster with contentedness and gratefulness. Those are the weapons. I am so grateful for the car that I have. I don't need those other cars. I'm so grateful for what I have right here. I don't need all those things. We practice gratefulness and contentedness. And when we win, we gain joy and peace and freedom. 
And when we lose, we gain joylessness, debt, and bondage. Why do people borrow money and go into debt? Because they listen to the monster of more. I can't afford more, but I want more, and I will get it anyway. I've heard it said today, people can be divided into three classes of people. There's the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-paid-for-what-they-haves. And a lot of this can be resolved with a spirit of contentedness. I asked you to send me one-sentence money lessons that you have learned. A couple hundred of you responded. And the most frequently submitted lesson uh, was stated this way, don't spend more than you have. You, you put it other ways to live within your means, but that was the most frequently given wisdom from your fellow members. Don't spend more than you have. The Bible puts it more pointedly, a borrower is slave to the lender. And some of you wrote in about the danger of debt and the problem when you loan money to family and friends. And I imagine there's a story behind every one of these one-sentence lessons. Debt obligates you to earning pressure. Debt undermines your joy, makes it hard to enjoy Christmas. It erodes giving opportunities. So the number one lesson you sent, don't spend more than you make. <laughs> All right, there you have it. Don't spend more than you have. Ignore the monster of more. Practice contentedness. Uh, some of the wisest words, I think, penned by the Apostle Paul is this uh, line from 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Would you read it with me? But godliness with contentment is great gain. Wow, we need to teach our kids and our grandkids that, and we need to recommit ourselves to that as, as well. Godliness with contentedness. All right, and the third and final more money lesson today is mature in giving, mature in giving. I said last week that if I had young children, I would start by uh, setting up three jars, three banks, give, save, spend, and I would have them put their pennies among the three, and then I would, each year as they get older, I would have them mature or advance in giving. And uh, when, when, when a child or an adult gives for the first time, when they're just learning as givers, uh, it usually is in response to a one-time, tangible, immediate opportunity. And uh, th this is where we all start as givers. Uh, some good get-on-the-page giving opportunities uh, are one of the things I told you about last week, the backpack drive, $25, buys a school backpack with the supplies in it, and those backpacks go to a child who needs it. Last year, my small group volunteered to distribute the backpacks, and we brought our 13-year-old daughter with us, and she got to hand out the backpacks to kids who need them. Talk about a rush of good feeling and a great opportunity to teach your kids the benefits of giving. It's why we love at Christmas time the shoebox thing we do, Operation Christmas Child. Uh, it's, it's a great thing to do, but especially if you're teaching your kids or grandkids giving, you get a shoebox, and you go to the dollar store, and you pack it with toys, and you wrap it up in Christmas wrapping, and that'll be delivered to a child in a developing part of the world. There's an immediate response to it. It's where we start as givers. Even adults, uh, usually the first time they make a gift, it's to a very specific project like clean drinking water or to build a well in a certain place. And those are fantastic. Very specific, one time, feel good. But there is a higher level giving. There's a type of giving that matures beyond only sporadic and spontaneous giving 
to include regular, systematic, predetermined giving. And a lot of you wrote about this in your one-sentence uh, money lessons. You wrote about honoring God consistently, not because of how it makes us feel, but because of who God is. At this level of giving, we give because it's the right thing to do. And this consistent, regular, predetermined, non-emotional, non-consumeristic giving is a more mature kind of giving, and it's the kind of giving that changes the world. I want to suggest three words to remember when thinking about biblical giving. All three words begin with the letter P. The first one is this, percentage giving. You pick a percentage of your income to give to God. The Bible talks about a tithe or 10%. The tithe is the standard to reach or to surpass as God prospers. Where's the tithe go? Uh, the, the Bible says it goes to the storehouse. And I think the modern-day equivalent of the storehouse is the local church, that people would bring their tithe into the storehouse, into one center, and then from that one storehouse, the poor are served, and missionaries are sent, and the children are educated, and worship happens. It all comes from the storehouse. Now, I know I'm a church pastor, and so the fact that I just said that may seem to some of you to be extremely self-serving. But it, it is my best understanding of what the Bible teaches, and you don't need to take my word for it. A lot of people have written on this and studied this, and I encourage you to read about the tithe, percentage giving. The second P is prioritized giving. Not just a percentage, but the first part, the first check I write. It's give, save, spend. God's kingdom first, my kingdom second, and then some of it I get to spend right away. And then progressive giving. There's a progressive kind of giving we can participate in. You can grow in your giving. You can up the percentage. You can give with joy, storing up treasures in heaven. You can go beyond the tithe if you're able. And a commitment based on these three principles would look like this. I am determined to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus taught that my heart will follow my money. So I progressively give a percentage of my income to the priority of God's kingdom through my local church. This is not a guilt thing. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Jesus will build his church. Jesus will bring his kingdom whether or not we participate, but we're invited to be part of that kingdom work. My son who got married earlier this summer, uh, before he got married, he was working on all the details, and he said to me, uh, a line that makes a father's heart uh, shine. He said, uh, Dad, I put the tithe in my budget. He said tithe and budget in the same sentence. <laughs> what a kid. So proud of him. The key passage on this topic is this one from Malachi chapter 3. God says through his prophet, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you, God? in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This is the only place I know of in the Bible where God says, test me in this. So we're going to give you an opportunity to test. 
It's called the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. We've done these before. It's a tithing test drive for first-time tithers. And you go to ward.church slash newsfeed or ward.church slash 1090, 10-90, to read about it and to sign up. And you commit to tithe, to give 10% of your income to God's work through Ward Church for 90 days. And here's the test me in this part. If you experience hardship because of your giving, if you experience no blessing over the next 90 days, we will give you your money back. You can read the details and the disclaimers in the same place you sign up for this. But I hope a lot of you will take us up on the tithe challenge and try it on. Uh, 90 days works out to about from today till Thanksgiving Day. And that would be a great time to give thanks for all that God has done during this test. I hope you'll take the challenge. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I asked you to send money lessons, but a lot of you just sent stories of blessing, of God's faithfulness. All right, let's review our money lessons. We had three last week and three this week. Let's review all six. We'll just kind of read them through together. Six money lessons in the last two Sundays. And uh, lesson number one was? Everything belongs to God. Lesson number two was? And lesson number three? That was last Sunday. If you missed that, you can catch that online. And then these were the three from today. We'll call it, we'll call it lesson number four. Lesson number five. And lesson number six. All right, let's turn the corner now from a focus on human generosity to a focus on God's generosity. We're going to celebrate communion, and this is where we remember how Jesus gave up everything for us. When he gave us his heart, it cost him everything. God is good and generous, and God's love is extravagant, abundant, and sacrificial. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the wisdom of Jesus. Teach us what it means to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to live as kingdom people. And now, God, through the sacrament, remind us of your love and presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.